You guys can have a seat. We're in Matthew chapter 5 this morning in the Beatitudes. My name is Blake, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. And I realized I left the clicker on the front row, so I'm going to go get that. Totally a rookie Anderson mistake there. All right. Too used to it at Southwood. Okay. This morning we're going to look at the Beatitudes. I am curious uh, how many of you watched the Super Bowl and were pulling for the Falcons a few weeks ago. Raise your hands if you're pulling for the Falcons. That's not as many as I expected. According to my Facebook and Twitter feed, it was like 90% of the country pulling for the Falcons. It was actually like this beautiful three hours when the nation was united again in our shared hatred of the New England Patriots. And everything was going great for us until the very end. I mean, it it looked like the Falcons had it in the bag. It was actually funny. There were anti-Tom Brady memes going around the internet in the third quarter because it looked like it was locked up. And then you had this incredible reversal. It's arguably the greatest Super Bowl ever because of that incredible reversal at the end when the Patriots came back and won. That's, that's fascinating. It's shocking to us to see that. And that is actually exactly the same emotion that Jesus wants us to feel when we read the Beatitudes. They're meant to be shocking and, and, and grab our attention. The, the hard thing is that for so many of us, we've read them. For most of our lives, we've heard the Beatitudes many, many times. And so now they just kind of wash over us and we don't even think about them anymore when we hear them. But when Jesus first spoke these eight Beatitudes, eight lines of blessing in the ancient world, they were not normal. They didn't put people to sleep. They were revolutionary. They were shocking to the original audience. And so this morning, my hope is to help you recover a sense of that shock when you read the Beatitudes. So let's start by reading them. We'll look at chapter 5 of Matthew, starting in verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountains, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And understand this passage, we have to start by defining the word that you see over and over again, blessed. This word is incredibly overused and our culture is now its own obnoxious hashtag. So you go to the beach, blessed. You get a new handbag, blessed. You're hanging out with your friends, blessed. It gets used over and over and that's really kind of annoying to me. And so I was pretty disappointed when I studied the word in Greek and found out that's exactly what it means in the original Greek. That's exactly what's going on. It is the Greek word makarios and it simply means that you have some reason to be happy or to celebrate. It was not an overtly spiritual term in Jesus's day. There was actually a separate Greek word for God's blessings in your life. This was a very everyday word, a very common word. It just meant you had some reason to be happy. You were in an enviable situation. The world looked up to you. The world assumed you were living the good life. We actually can find lots of these lists of blessings that Jesus does here in ancient literature. Lots of times when writers outside of the Bible wrote this formula, blessed or happy is he who blank. 
And so there's nothing radical about the fact that Jesus lists Beatitudes. What's radical is the kind of people whom he says have reason to celebrate. In all of those lists outside the Bible, who do you think the people were who had reason to celebrate, who were called blessed? Well, it was always the same group, the people who were wealthy and healthy and successful and famous and self-righteous. They were the blessed that the world looked up to. In other words, it was exactly the opposite of the kind of people whom Jesus says are blessed. And that's the radical thing about the Beatitudes. Not that Jesus calls a group of people blessed, but the kind of people whom he says have reason to celebrate in life. And so we're going to spend some time looking at these eight characteristics of the kind of people who have reason to celebrate or be happy according to Jesus. And so the first group, he says, who are blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is a phrase that we first studied a few weeks ago when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. To be poor in spirit is to be the exact opposite of the Pharisees. The Pharisees weren't poor in spirit. Because the Pharisees, they believed they were righteous and had therefore earned their way into the kingdom of God through their good works. And so Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount and it was all bad news to prove that no one earns their way in. Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount to show us that we all need a savior. And that's what it means to be poor in spirit. You recognize I need a savior. You recognize I am a a sinner. I cannot save myself. I need God's help. God help me to be poor in spirit is to get on your knees before God and cry out, please save me. To be poor in spirit means that you echo the words of G.K. Chesterton. The problem with the universe is me. The problem with the universe isn't out there. It's right here inside me. The evil is in me. I need help. I'm desperately dependent upon God to save me. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Now, there's this interesting thing that Jesus does. He teaches another sermon at another time that's recorded in Luke chapter 6. And it's really similar to the Sermon on the Mount. It took place in a big field. And so scholars call it the Sermon in the Plain, which is kind of funny. Um, In this Sermon in the Plain, Jesus teaches a lot of the same Beatitudes, but he tweaks them just a little bit. So here is the corresponding Beatitude in Luke 6. Blessed, says Jesus, are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Notice it's not poor in spirit, it's just poor. It means the literal poor. So what is it that unites the spiritual poor with the literal poor? In both cases, this person is absolutely, desperately dependent on God to save them. You see, in the ancient world, there was no social safety net. There was no welfare, no food stamps, no Medicaid. If you were financially poor, you were literally dependent upon God's mercy to get through another day alive. And so Jesus is saying it is the person who is desperately dependent upon God, who is blessed, who has reason to be happy. Why? Because that's the kind of person who receives the kingdom of heaven. Remember, kingdom of heaven, we talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. It is the kingdom of God come to earth through Jesus Christ. And and God welcomes people into the kingdom of heaven who say, please, I want in. I don't deserve to be in. I've not earned my way in. I want you to, to bring me in, God, out of grace. God opens the doors of the kingdom of heaven to everyone who is desperately dependent on him. That's what we call the gospel. 
That's the good news of the Christian gospel. It's what makes Christianity so different than every other religion. Every other religion gives you a list of things to do to earn your way in to heaven when you die. Christianity says there's no list because you can't possibly earn your way in. And so instead, God offers heaven and forgiveness and eternal life for free to you. All you have to say is, yes, God, I want that. I am a sinner. I I can't earn my way in. The problem with the universe, God, is me. I need you to save me. God says, okay, then here you go. Eternal life is free for all who are poor in spirit, who humble themselves before God and say, I am not good enough. Please save me. So that's the first group that is blessed. Those who are poor in spirit, who are humble before God. Second group who Jesus says has reason to celebrate are those who mourn. The word to mourn, that's pretty simple. It means to weep or grieve. Commentators were pretty split when I was studying this passage about why these people are grieving. Some commentators said it's because of the first beatitude. They recognize their sin and they weep over their evil. Other commentators say, no, they're just weeping over all the normal bad stuff in life, like someone died or someone's sick or something like that. When in doubt, I say it's both. My wife actually laughs at me. That's my basic Bible study method is if you have a disagreement between two options, if you can take both, do. <laughs> because it's usually both. And in this case, it is. It's, it's anyone who mourns for any reason. Why are we blessed if we mourn for any reason? Well, think for a moment about what you are doing when you mourn. When you're weeping, when you're grieving, what you're doing is you're recognizing that life isn't the way that it should be. So sin should not exist, but it does. And so you grieve over the sin you see in your own life. Death should not exist, but it does. And so you grieve when a loved one dies. Sickness should not exist, but it does. And so you grieve when you get bad news from your doctor. And so when you are grieving over the brokenness in life, whether spiritual brokenness or physical brokenness, Jesus says, you are actually blessed in that moment. You have reason to celebrate. Why? Because you will be comforted. And I think that's looking forward to the return of Jesus. When Jesus comes back to earth, which could be 30 seconds from now or 30,000 years from now. We don't know when it's going to be. But when he comes, he is going to fix everything that is broken. The spiritually broken stuff, the physically broken stuff, the socially broken stuff, everything that's broken will be fixed. And in that moment, we will be comforted. We will rejoice. We will celebrate when Jesus returns. Who won't be celebrating? Those who didn't grieve. Why? Because that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't grieve over the brokenness of life because they didn't see any brokenness in their life and they don't care about your brokenness. And Jesus said, life's not going to go well for the Pharisees, whether ancient or modern, when he returns. So when you grieve over the brokenness of life, when you recognize that this world is not as it should be and you mourn over that fact, Jesus says, take heart. You will be comforted when I return. I think it's very similar to the first beatitude. Third group of people Jesus says has reason to celebrate are the gentle. Boy, talk about a misunderstood word. I really don't like this English translation of of the Greek word gentle. Um, Let me clarify. Gentle in Greek, it is not the opposite of strong. Who was the most gentle man who's ever lived? Jesus. And he was also the strongest man who ever lived because he's literally God. He like created the whole universe. And he's not just strong in a passive sense. He was often aggressive. Think about Jesus walking into the temple and seeing people profiting off of religion. What does he do with that? He makes a whip and beats them. 
And so gentle doesn't mean weak. What is gentle? Well, when we study the Greek word, what we find is that it means that you're not caught up with your own self-importance. You're not throwing your weight around to try to make yourself look good. Instead, you're, you're humble. You are using your resources in life to lift up other people, to bless other people. In other words, gentle is pretty much the exact opposite of everyone in the news today. All those people who are so busy building up their brand, their name, their celebrity, that's the opposite of what gentle means. They're trying to make sure everyone sees them. So they have millions of followers on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. That's not the gentle person. The gentle person doesn't have lots of followers because he or she is so busy lifting up and blessing other people that they don't have time to care about their reputation or their fame. So the person who is humble, the person who is busy lifting up other people has reason to celebrate, is blessed. Why? Well, because Jesus says when he returns, this is the person who received the earth. Not just heaven, but the earth as well. So right now, who does the world belong to? All the people with the famous last names. All the celebrities. That's who the world belongs to now, but not for long. When Jesus comes back, he's going to take the world away from them and he's going to give it to the kind of people you have never heard of. People who are not famous because they spent their life and their resources lifting up other people. They are the gentle and Jesus says this world belongs to them. They will have it in the future. So the gentle are blessed. Those who no one knows because they're so busy helping others. That's who has reason to be happy. Completely opposite of what the world assumes. Fourth group of people whom Jesus says has reason to celebrate are those who hunger for righteousness. This is exactly the same idea as as the first beatitude. Those who hunger for righteousness are those who recognize they are not righteous. And so they need God to supply righteousness for them. So exact opposite of the Pharisees. Pharisees did not hunger for righteousness. Their bellies were already full with all of their self-righteousness, their counterfeit righteousness. They had no room for God's righteousness in their life. Those who were poor in spirit in the first beatitude, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want God to provide their righteousness. Now what's interesting is, again, in the parallel in Luke 6, Jesus takes the same beatitude and he presents it in a more physical way. Blessed are you who hunger literally now, for you shall be satisfied. Again, whether it's from spiritual need or physical need, those who are desperate for God to provide either righteousness or food, you will be satisfied. Why? Because God will provide. When you cast yourself at the feet of God and beg him to provide, he will. He loves to provide the needs of those who are desperate for him. So when you hunger for righteousness, take heart. You can celebrate. God will provide. Fifth group, whom Jesus says has reason to celebrate, are the merciful. What does it mean to be merciful? I think the best passage, clearest definition of the term is found in Titus chapter 3. Paul describes God's mercy. He says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. So according to the beginning of that passage, what do we deserve from God? 
punishment, right? Did a lot of bad stuff. What do we get instead? Salvation, kindness, love. That's mercy. Mercy means that you come to the aid of someone who doesn't deserve it. You help someone who deserved punishment instead. So what is mercy practically speaking? Mercy is when your roommate does not do the dishes again and it was their turn and you roll up your sleeves and do them anyways without grumbling under your breath. That's the hard part. Mercy is when your spouse says something really mean to you and you desperately want to defend yourself because you believe you were in the right. You want to strike back. You know exactly what to say and instead you hold your tongue and you show your spouse love. Mercy is when someone ridicules you online and you type out the best Facebook comment comeback ever written in the history of the human race. It is witty and funny and it is going to go viral and get you thousands of likes and you are about to hit enter and instead you hit delete because you don't want to become part of an online cycle of revenge. That's mercy. You give someone good that they don't deserve. Now mercy is costly. It requires a sacrifice. In all three of those examples, you are sacrificing your rights. It was not your turn to do the dishes. You deserve to be able to get back at those who have hurt you. But you're willing to sacrifice that right to justice to bless the other person. So mercy is hard. Why then should you be merciful? Jesus says, because if you are merciful now, I will be merciful to you in the future. What's that about? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer if you've trusted in Jesus as your savior, then you're not going to be punished for your sins. You're going to heaven when you die. But when you get to heaven, you are going to be judged by Jesus. We believers, we will have a day of judgment. When we stand before Jesus and he evaluates our deeds in this life, and if we've been faithful, he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And if we have not, we will be ashamed. The question is, when Jesus looks at your life, Will he be in a merciful mood or not? The good news is he will be if you've been merciful in this life. I take great hope in that because there is a lot that I've done in this life that I am not proud of. I'm I'm fearful of that being, that reel of tape being played when I stand before Jesus. The good news is, is I accrue mercy on that day when I am merciful to other people in this life. So when you're merciful now, you're earning mercy then, and that is a reason to celebrate. So fifth group of people who have reason to be happy, those who are merciful in this life. Sixth group, Jesus says, has reason to be happy are those who are pure in heart. This is a commonly misunderstood term because we we tend to hear that word pure and we think morality like sexual purity. That's actually not what the phrase means. You got to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms. And here's where we see the phrase, Psalm 24. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord. You may notice there, pure in heart is contrasted to deception and falsehood. So to be pure in heart, it means to be honest, to be a man or woman of integrity. It means that you live a life free of hypocrisy and manipulation. You, you mean what you say. You keep your promises. You speak the truth even when it costs you. You are honest before God and others about your mistakes, about your sins, about your needs and fears. 
In a lot of ways, this, this picture of being pure in heart, it runs absolutely contrary to what our society says is the ideal manly man. And so guys, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Let's think about this. According to our society, who is the manly man? Well, often it's, it's the man who hides his weaknesses, who, who puffs out his chest and sucks in his gut and shows only strength and competence to the world. Because that's really what we guys want, right? We want to look strong and competent to everyone else. And Jesus says, that is a bad idea if you do that towards God. In fact, if that's how you treat God, you will not see God in the next life. I think that's going back to the first beatitude. The manly man is the Pharisee. The opposite of the godly man who humbles himself before God and says, God, I am weak. I need you. We must, men, we, we must be open and honest before God. We must also be open and honest with one another. Jesus says, that's the life that is blessed. The man who doesn't puff out his chest and suck in his gut and show only strength, but who is honest with others about about his mistakes, about his needs, about his weaknesses, that is the person who is blessed because he is living a life of honesty and integrity. That is the man who has reason to celebrate. So when we look at this purity in heart, this is the person who can celebrate because this is the person who will see God. God loves the man and the woman who is honest before him and honest with one another. Seventh group of people who Jesus says has reason to celebrate, the peacemakers. Now we need to clarify, not peacekeepers. A peacekeeper is a policeman or, or, or a soldier who has, who has the authority and the strength to enforce peace. That's not what we're talking about. We're also not talking about the peaceful person who is just tries to get along with everybody else. A peacemaker is the kind of person who sees two other people or groups in conflict with one another and engages with them to help bring reconciliation. So this is when you see two of your friends fighting and you initiate with each of them separately to help them reconcile. This is when you see a marriage in crisis and you engage and and help those spouses to understand and, and reconcile with one another. This is when you see two groups of people at war with one another and you serve as a bridge trying to help both of them understand one another and draw close together. Now, being a peacemaker is hard. It is a sacrifice because remember, this isn't your fight. You have the right to sit on your couch and watch Netflix. You are not the reason for this conflict. Entering into that conflict is hard because conflict is emotional and it is uncomfortable. And it takes a lot of time and it's tricky. And if you do it wrong, both parties are going to end up mad at you. And who wants that? So why should you be a peacemaker? Why should you spend your time and emotional effort to help others reconcile? Because Jesus says, that's how the world will know that you are sons and daughters of God. You're a son or daughter of God if you've placed your faith in Jesus, but the world can't see your faith. But they can see your sacrifice when you help others reconcile. They can see when you step out as a peacemaker to bless others. And when they see that, they say, wow, there is a follower of a God who loves peace. 
That's why it is so beautiful when Christians get engaged in things like racial reconciliation. When we take the time and the effort to help groups of people understand one another and reconcile. That's hard. That's, that's costly work. But it's beautiful because the world says there is the kind of person who follows a peacemaking God. So the blessed life, not a new handbag, not a trip to the beach. It's the person who is willing to engage in the hard work of reconciliation, helping people or groups in conflict come back together. So that's the seventh group whom Jesus says is blessed. Eighth group, final group whom Jesus said is blessed are those persecuted for righteousness. Now the prepositional phrase at the end is important for righteousness. This is not when a police officer gives you a ticket for doing 70 in a school zone. That's called justice. This is persecution for the sake of righteousness. You were doing a good thing. You're treated badly because of your commitment to Jesus. So this is the the Christian, the believer, the man or the woman who is fired from their job because they were not willing to do something unethical for the boss. This is the professor who's denied tenure because of her public commitment to Jesus. This is the high schooler who is ridiculed because he's not willing to sleep around like everybody else. That believer is paying a price for his or her commitment to Jesus. That person who's being persecuted for their commitment to Jesus is actually blessed in that moment. They have reason to celebrate. Why? Well, Jesus says, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Now, at first, that might be confusing because that's the first blessing that Jesus mentioned under beatitude number one. And you get the kingdom of heaven simply for believing, simply before humbling yourself before God. So now is Jesus adding a condition? You have to be persecuted too. He's not. The answer is found in the next couple of verses. Look with me, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for, here it is, your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you stand before Jesus in heaven and he judges your life, it's not heaven or hell that's on the line. You're already in heaven through your faith in Jesus. But will you receive reward from Jesus? Well, only if you were faithful even under persecution. If you were, if if you were persecuted for your faith and you endured that, you'll receive reward from Jesus and everyone always wants to know what will the reward be and my answer is always the same. I have no idea. I I don't know what Jesus is going to give us. I just know that Paul said it's going to be so great and so valuable that everything in this life will pale by comparison. You will not even remember the pains of this life when you receive the glories of the reward that is to come. It is totally worth it. And so you have reason to celebrate when you are persecuted for your faith because it is proof that you're going to be rewarded when you see Jesus. It's actually why this is fascinating. The, the, the leaders of the church right after the apostles, men like Ignatius and Polycarp, they celebrated when they were martyred. They actually rejoiced. They wrote letters about how privileged they were to die painful deaths for Jesus. Why? Because of the reward they knew they would receive. Because they were faithful unto martyrdom. Incredible example of people who said, I'm blessed when I suffer for Jesus. Okay, lots of of Beatitudes here, eight of them. Let's sum this up. What have we learned from Jesus? Well, there's a great reversal coming to the planet Earth. Whenever Jesus returns, which could be by the end of this sermon, it could be a thousand years from now, we don't know when it's going to be, but when Jesus comes, he's going to turn the world upside down and everything that the world values today will be forgotten then. 
Things like fame, wealth, beauty, talent, intelligence, power. Everybody cares about that stuff now. No one will care about it when Jesus returns. It will be utterly worthless. Instead, Jesus will take the things that the world doesn't care about today, and that's what he will value. Things like humility and dependence and mercy and gentleness. These are the things that Jesus will celebrate when he returns. So that great reversal is coming. What do we do with that reality? How do we apply it? Well, I'm going to give you a couple practical ideas. I'm going to ask you two questions to help you leave here with a a specific application that you can do this week. So my first question for you, where are you chasing your happiness? Now, let's be clear. Everyone in this room is chasing happiness. All humans do it, whether it's in things of this life or the next life. Temporal things, eternal things, material things, spiritual things. Everyone chases happiness. You are chasing that which you think will be most rewarding to you in the end. So the question is, where are you chasing your happiness? In the values of this world, the money, the fame, the beauty, the power, or in the things of the next world and things like humility and selflessness and peacemaking and the things that Jesus values? Are you chasing happiness in the things that last when Jesus returns? My hope for you is that you now recognize that you want to chase happiness in the right places. You want to chase what Jesus says will make you happy in the long run. If you recognize that, then the very practical question is, how do you do it? How do you chase happiness in the right places? And the answer is you find the right role models. Because in life, we chase happiness by following role models whom we believe have already found it. That's why there are tens of millions of people who follow Kim Kardashian and LeBron James, because they believe that those two have found happiness. And so they desperately want to become them. According to Matthew five, neither of them have. So it should go without saying, do not follow them. Follow the people who are living out the Beatitudes. Those are the people who will be happy in the long run. Okay, so look around in your life and ask yourself, where do I see examples of men or women a little further down the road from me who have been chasing these things that Jesus mentions, have been seeking to live out the Beatitudes? For me, I have a couple role models in my life. I have my parents. I've been able to watch them live the Beatitudes for 40 years now so I can just do what they do and I will march in the right direction. Second for me is the elders of this church, and this is going to sound morbid, but particularly the elders who've died. I I follow them because I got to see them live the Beatitudes all the way till their death. So men like Dick Davison or Harry Coyle, I, I watched them pursue what Jesus values all the way up till they literally died. And so now I say, wow, that, that is my example. I'm going to follow them. That's the life that leads to happiness. Okay, so you chase happiness in the right places by following the right role models. So choose wisely who you're going to follow. Find that man, find that woman a little further down the road who's been chasing happiness and the values listed in the Beatitudes and then do what they do. Second question for you. Do you honor the people Jesus honored? We know that this great reversal is coming where Jesus is going to lift up all the people that the world neglects today. Because we know that that's coming, we can begin to live it out now. 
Jesus is calling us to honor the same kind of people that he honored in the Beatitudes. So that means we're called to bless the poor and the desperate and the neglected and the sinners. Those are the people that we should focus our lives and our efforts on. Now, I I could give you an incredible list of different options for this. There's tons of ways you can do this. I'll just give you a few examples, practically speaking. How do you bless these, these kind of people that Jesus honored? One example would be blessing the unborn. So when you take a stand for life, when you get involved in adoption ministries, APO, Hope Pregnancy Center, that is a good thing because there's really no group of people more desperately dependent than the unborn. That's like the picture of who Jesus blessed in the Beatitudes. So when you take a stand for the unborn and and bless them and help them, that's a good thing. You're honoring those whom Jesus honored. A second group who would fit this, um, refugees. They're in the news a lot. Not going to talk about the executive order today. What I'm going to be clear about is that whatever refugees the Lord allows us to interact with, we are called to bless them. They are needy, they are desperately dependent, they fit the definition of the kind of person Jesus would honor and lift up. So we are called to honor them and lift them up. Third group would be the poor. They're mentioned explicitly in the parallel in Luke 6. We are called to bless the poor, to honor the poor, to lift them up. Lots of different ways to do that. Find some way where you can be involved in lifting up and honoring the poor because that's who Jesus honored. Uh, Final group, the sinners. I think that it's ironic that Jesus was often ridiculed in the course of his life for spending too much time with immoral sinners. I kind of hope that the world will think the same about Grace Bible Church, (laughs) that they'll marvel at the fact that here's a body of believers who love spending time with immoral sinners because we want to be Jesus to them. We want to love them like Jesus loves them. And so, yeah, they're going to say a lot of curse words and they're going to listen to explicit music and they're going to do a lot of immoral things. And that's okay because God loves them anyways. We're adults. We can spend time with those people and be Jesus to them. The hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the sinners of the earth. I actually love spending time with immoral people. Why? Because they're more likely to recognize their need than all the moral people out there. They recognize they don't have life together and it gives me these wonderful opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with them. So honor the people Jesus honored. Lift up those who are desperate and poor and neglected and immoral and sinners. Honor them, lift them up and you will be like Jesus. So as you go today, I'm gonna challenge you. Think about who the role models are in your life. Are you following someone who is chasing happiness in the right places, in the values of the Beatitudes? If not, find that person. Pray that God would bring that role model into your life. Second, think about how you can honor the kind of people that Jesus honored. Lifting up and blessing those who are desperately dependent and in need. Let's pray and ask Jesus to help us follow his example. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you that you are our ultimate role model that you showed us what it looks like to chase happiness in the right places. We praise you for what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that you went to the cross for the joy set before you. You did not do it out of obligation. You did it out of of a desire for joy, out of a desire for happiness. We praise you that as we chase that which you value most, we are chasing a life that will lead ultimately to our greatest happiness and joy. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing to us what really matters, what will matter when you return.
We pray, Lord Jesus, you would help us to live out these beatitudes. We pray that you would help us to be humble before you and with one another. We pray that you would help us to be peacemakers, to be gentle, to be merciful, to be willing to suffer for our faith in you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would help us to live out these beatitudes. Help us each to find role models here in our lives who can lead us in the right path, who can help us to chase happiness in the right places. We pray that you would help us to find others whom we can lift up. Show us who the the poor and, and the neglected and the desperate and the sinners are in our lives that we can honor just like you honored and who we can bless like you blessed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming very soon to turn this world upside down. Thank you that the things that this world chases after and covets are not going to count in your coming kingdom. Help us to believe that and to live according to that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are so good. We give our lives to you. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week following the Lord.